Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Tap Calf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast. Which is hard to believe, but also true. I am Justin, joined as always by my co-host Corey. Today we will be talking about Dark Apprentice, book two of the Jedi Academy trilogy. That's uh, That actually is true. Only some of what you said was true. Uh, I was actually visited by uh, the specter of a of a long dead Star Wars podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, you learn anything useful? Uh, I learned that you're not the only one hosting a podcast on this planet, so uh, okay. you're 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 not brave enough to go and learn things about the other podcasts. So I'm gonna steal your car and drive away. I kind of meant it like you know how they say like the Ohio State, like you know the like this podcast has so much clout that like all of the other ones kind of just. You know, we've been shilling for Star Wars for years and <laughs> didn't even get invited to <laughs> Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> oh, yeah, or Galaxy's Edge. Uh, but anyway, hello, everyone. We are streaming this live on YouTube, but everyone who's new to Tapcap Transmissions just know that this is a bi-weekly, I guess, uh, Star Wars podcast. Corey and I do. We focus on a different Star Wars Legends book each week. We kind of break it down. We talk about it. And at the end, we give our ratings and uh, read emails from you guys and whatnot, so you can find all of that information down in the description. Or if you're listening on Spotify, Podbean, any of the other platforms, should be there in the description as well. Uh, what's new with you, Corey? Uh, literally nothing. I've just been... Well, not really. Nothing has really changed for me in the in all the self-isolation. I don't know if it's been similar story for you but i already, yeah. I already didn't go outside or go see other people mm-hmm. so it's i'm just sitting in my uh i like to call it my office but it's really just a corner of my bedroom and yeah functional anything like new or exciting coming up on either the channels or your mods or anything interesting no okay great so we're two minutes into the podcast and it's pretty much over thanks Corey. Okay, I didn't realize the podcast was about my, like, I could tell you all about Throne's Revenge 2.3.6 that's coming out soon. A uh, special video I've got coming out on Corey Loses on April 1st that people will definitely want to check out because it's totally real. And uh, and things like that. But what what about Eckhart's Ladder? Sorry, sorry Eckhart's Ladder. Sorry, my bad. You can just call me Justin or, um, or Dr. Eck uh, or Mr. Eggman. No, no, nothing new really. I've been dealing with this copyright stuff, but I think it's going to be solved pretty soon. Um, yeah, nothing really has changed for us, for us either. Like, Kelsey's obviously on maternity leave. You know, we've got a pretty young kid, so we weren't the most social of creatures already. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, she actually has to go back to work soon, which is fun. They're, they're like, recalling her right in the middle of the pandemic. And she's like, uh, I haven't done, like, my CPR training or anything. And they're like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Like, oh, it's like, well, I've been off for like for a year and a half. Like I could probably use some skill touch ups. She's like, they're like, no, you're probably OK. <laughs> so. Yeah, I had uh, one of my Sims go down the, the medical career path once. I think I was like 12. <laughs> and just because of that, I had the local hospital call and say, hey, can you come in? So <laughs> it's getting pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we should cool. say that. uh 
this this series alternates between streaming on Eckhart's Ladder and Corey's Datapad every other episode. So for people who uh, may be seeing the streams live here for the first time, uh, we usually, because it is a podcast and uh, most people listen to it in audio form, we don't really directly interact with the chat too much towards the end. We do take some questions on top of some emails that we've been sent. We have uh, quite a few this weekend or this week again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yep. So should we jump right into it then? Should we start discussing book two of the Jedi Academy trilogy, Dark Apprentice? Do you want to give some general impressions before we uh, you know, dive right into it? Uh, we should, but I should also add before we start that between last episode and this episode, I read Dark Apprentice, but I also read I, Jedi. Mm. So there will be some things that I say that are probably from I, Jedi that I've mixed up with Dark Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Uh and I guess that gives a few extra things to talk about. Yeah. So because I Jedi is a really interesting book. Do you want to explain, like, how it fits with this trilogy and why it's different than like most Star Wars books? Yeah. So uh, I Jedi is a book by Michael Stackpole, who is one of the two people responsible for the X Wing series. So one of the uh, more famous or uh, one of the pantheon of Star Wars great authors, mm-hmm. uh, and. There's a character from the X-Wing books, Corrin Horn, who becomes a Jedi later on. And I, Jedi, is uh, a story from his perspective of kind of how he's trying to find his wife, Mirax, who was captured by Leonia Tavira, which is an Imperial Moff. Uh, and part of that is that he goes and studies at the Jedi Academy. So parts of that book are not just at the same time as the Jedi Academy trilogy, but covering the same events. So covering them from a different character's perspective. And the really weird part about it is, is that Corrin is never mentioned Mm. in the Jedi Academy trilogy. So it's Mm -hmm. taking a character who is not really intended by Kevin J. Anderson to be there, but not really intended to not be there either. And Mm. kind of adding more context to it. If you want to look at it one way or uh, showing how one author disagreed with the, what the other one was doing, if you want to take Mm -hmm. it another way. Uh, yeah, it's the, as yeah. Sergio's in the chat says, it's not a sequel to iRobot. Um, but th- the book is kind of weird, the Jedi Academy trilogy, and especially this book, just in the way that it handles like Luke's students, because it says, I think, on one of the first pages that he's got 12 students now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get details for like five of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like Streen, Gantoris, Tion, um, Cam. Cam, and the, what's the name? Karanati. Karanati. Dorsk. And Dorsk, yeah, so that's like six. And then like any other time the other students are mentioned, just like the other students were sitting off in the background. Yeah. <laughs> like the other students were in small groups. Like these are like future Jedi. Shouldn't we know a little bit more about these other students? But I mean it does kind of allow the whole I Jedi thing to work with um with uh Corn kind of going undercover uh as What's it, what does it call himself? It's not Nija Halcyon. Uh, Kieran Halcyon. Kieran Halcyon, right. Because Corrin's grandfather was a Jedi named Nija uh, from mm. the Corellian Jedi tradition, which is separate from the regular Jedi tradition. And, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like iJedi, though. It's fun. And, of course, it's written from the first-person perspective, mm-hmm. um, which is also, I don't know, kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, weird Corrin flirting with Tion stuff. Mm-hmm. See, I was always under the impression that Tion was older than she actually is. But I think she, like, accelerates her aging at some point during the Yuuzhan Vong War. Because mm-hmm. I think by, like, Darkness, they're referring to her as 
relatively old. Well, Cam is described as being middle-aged. Yeah. Um, and Corrin is not middle-aged. He's like... He'd be well, late, like 20s, late 20s, early 20s. 30s by yeah. I Jedi, I think. But Cam is Cam seems to be like in his 40s. Um, yeah. So Tion's probably late 20s, early 30s as well. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's probably right. Um, so we'll, I, I assume we'll read I Jedi at some point. It's a really long book, isn't it? Isn't it like four or five hundred pages? Yeah, it took me a fair amount of time to get through. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's going through so many different parts as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, like they get the entire plot of uh, Jedi Academy minus the first book because that doesn't really involve the Academy mm-hmm. yet uh, into the space of about a third of it. Yeah. So there's some stuff before it. Then there's the Jedi Academy stuff. Then there's Corrin looking for Mirax mm-hmm. uh, and Does like Luke infiltrating. Help, doesn't Luke help him find Mirax again? It's been so long. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Luke turns up years. when Corrin's like terrorizing a town as this mysterious <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> and yeah, Luke and him in infiltrate Tavira's stuff. Cool. Um, back on topics of the, of this book, do you did you find it kind of weird how like some of the new students are introduced, like Karanati? Okay, but like Tion and Doris Giddy One, they come out of nowhere, and it's just kind of like I was like, were they mentioned like in some weird like just something that I never that I wasn't aware of or something? Just because of how kind of casually they're introduced. I was but, fine with that. Yeah, I was fine with it too. It was just, yeah, it was just kind of like, it was weird that they just took these certain named students and made them kind of more of a focus. And then there's the other, the unknown six or whatever in the back. <laughs> yeah, like, I I would have preferred if he'd just done like a quick rundown of mm-hmm. uh, who the students were, which probably would have prevented I Jedi from being a thing and would lock mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I assume that would be why he didn't so that there's more room for that to be fleshed out later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. So continuing to stay pretty broad, what do you think of like the writing in this book, the style of this book, um, especially compared to book one? It felt to me like there was even more attempts to do the, hey, look, this is a reference to... <laughs> the original trilogy and i think like half of my notes are like that because like when uh when han and kip are uh are skiing in Mm -hmm. like chapter three or whatever oh yeah because kip is just getting out from being in the minds of castle for his entire life han wants to show him a good time uh ignore his kids a different way (laughs) but i think at one point he's sitting kip down in front of jason and jana and saying kip you're like the son i never had <laughs> and it's very very confusing for jason it really explains a lot of what happens later yeah but uh like they're going skiing and he's he's thinking the polar regions of coruscant reminded han of the ice planet of hoth and mm-hmm. it's it's basically the same as if he'd just been making a drink open the freezer went to get some ice cubes like the temperature in the freezer reminded han of the time he spent on hoth it's like <laughs> You don't need to do that. It's, it can be Star Wars without having to throw in... Yeah, it's just like they throw in Tauntauns later on in that scene, too. Yeah. Like, I don't know, to me... Did the Rebels bring the Tauntauns to Hoth, or were they just... It's like, I always find it kind of weird when, like... like I think they did. Every, every story has, like, Tauntauns, or, like, nerfs, or, like, you know, whatever else. I think that's yeah. fine because, like, we get kind of established that, like, nerfs and banthas and stuff, these are basically yeah. the cows of Star Wars, so they're everywhere. Yeah. 
domesticated people bring them around mm-hmm. and like that kind of stuff that's established is fine because why make something up when that already exists yeah, but just the attempts at like it almost feels like they don't trust their thing to feel like star wars if it's not mm-hmm. brought back to uh referencing that there was a cold place in the movies as well yeah yeah that's a good point um but we get a pretty nasty uh ot reference with dala too Dantooine is too remote to make an effective like oh my god like i was gonna say is that the only reason that is in there because it feels like that's that's it i don't know it's like hey look she really really studied under tarkin (laughs) Mm -hmm. she really gets it but yeah there were and it's weird because the other book i thought was okay about that but this one is pretty heavy-handed there's another um with between kip and han there's another uh, odd like don't tell me the odds thing or do you think 3po could i think kip says do you think 3po could get us to uh, calculate the odds of making it through that uh that yeah. route basically it's like uh... <laughs> and they uh they he's really trying to like force in the whole remember how han beat lando in a game of sabacc to get the falcon mm-hmm. so that's literally all those two do the entire time even when there's much more important stuff to do yeah, it's pretty shocking that, like, <laughs> well, okay, let's get down to, yeah, okay, no, it, it is pretty shocking when, like, when Han gets his diplomatic message and is like, yeah, um, your wife's just been involved in a really catastrophic event, she's probably really traumatized, Han's running down to the to the hangar, about to grab the Falcon and head off, and, uh, and Lando just basically goads him into a card game, and then he just can't go pick her up. <laughs> Yeah, and Lando even says, like, when he finds out why Han's in such a shitty mood, he's like, okay, why are we doing this? Let's fucking go. He's like, no, it's not my ship anymore. (laughs) And Lando's like, all right, let's go get her. And Han's like, "Mm, just the New Republic will pick her up. Yeah, like Han and Lando, you get a lot of this book focused on them, and they do nothing. Yeah. They won like four card games or something. Yeah, because uh, Lando wins it, Han wins it, and then Lando tries to challenge Han to it again to impress Mara. So there's right. three card games they do for it. Right. And uh, allegedly Mara's impressed. I don't buy that he ever meant to, like, he was clearly just doing it. Yeah. And whatever. I did. I, did, I actually did enjoy the first one, though. Um, I thought it was fun. Like the... Yeah, the first one was fun. The next two were entirely unnecessary. And just... Yeah. The first one was fun, but it was also at the point that made the least sense. So maybe keep the middle yeah. one, make that the first one. And Agreed. Um, I do want to say, kind of going back a little, I really like the choice of Yavin for Luke's Praxium is so good. Um, I don't know. Well, I except just, for like, the Sith Lord. That... Well, except for the Sith Lord. But I mean, I mean, from a from a <laughs> think about how low the, the property the property taxes are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's something I've never been a real estate agent. Also, they're really fucking haunted. (laughs) I'm I've never been a real estate agent, but I'm pretty sure that's something they're supposed to tell you beforehand. Yeah, there seems to be like a lot of rats and mice and like rodents in there, and they're like always talking about like, oh, like Kip moved his backpack and thirty five rats (laughs) went into the walls. (laughs) He opened his he opened his cape and it all ran. Yeah, how long has it been in there? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, Yevon's a really interesting planet, I mean, the giant temples are cool, I guess, and it's just like, 
Mm-hmm. I, I I just like the idea of there being this like vast like um, jungle that like the students can go and explore, and I think the temple in the middle of the lake is really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know, just like it. Yeah, they got the Sith Lord out there, and then they got a uh, Quarrel. I think his name oh, is the running the around fighter. Yeah, pilot. Yeah, we got to read those books later. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to them. Yeah, I I need to read all the Jason Solo material for what I'm sure will be mm-hmm. an hour long video on each Solo kid. Well, the Jason and Jaina stuff in this kind of reminded me of that. I was like, okay, I'm I'm looking forward to like Young mm-hmm. Jedi Knight stuff because yeah, I don't know, it's cool. Yeah, that's what uh, ten years? No. Yeah, actually, that'd be about twenty two. Yeah, I think maybe why. Yeah. So they're about 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by that point, there's even more unnamed students. Yeah. You can actually see Rosh Pennon walking around in the background. <laughs> and I like how in this book, Star Wars authors seem to have a bit of trouble writing kids because these kids are like two and a half years old and like... They're acting like they're four. Or six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, but... He tries to cover his bases with that by saying, oh, they're... <laughs> They're doing really stuff advanced. that kids their age really shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Like, okay, there's a limit to this. Doesn't Jason, like, fight a bat or something in the next one? Uh, I'm pretty sure he fights off a Sith Lord in, in a bat. <laughs> he uses he uses Luke's lightsaber mm-hmm. when Exar Kun is, like, attacking Luke with Streen. Like I think Luke's it's that body, one. right? Yeah. Yeah, because he's trying to, like, possess the different students to... Mm-hmm. Uh, to kill Luke while he's unconscious because Kip leaves him unconscious at the end of this mm-hmm. this book, or Exar Kun does. And, yeah, for some reason, Han and Leia bring Jaina and Jason there to <laughs> help look after him, even though they know they're being attacked by the... They're willing to leave the kids behind to be watched by 3PO and Chewie in almost every other situation, but Sith Lord's attacking... that because I us. think that's a... And we both agreed, and you said that I was a parent and gatekeeping Han, but like, I don't know. So, as some of you may know, I have a, a child. My son Gus is, I could say, is actually one year six months today, and uh, I don't know. I don't leave him with a nanny droid every day, or like. Okay, they're not invented yet, so that's a weird standard to have. If, if one of the boys pops up and is like, "Hey, you want to go on a road trip to Kessel, or the mines of?" I don't know, Fredericton uh, or something? I would. My <laughs> wife just got abducted, but I got time for a quick card game. Yeah, I'll leave him with the dogs. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, let's not just call Chewie a dog. That's well, like his uncle. Yeah, fair enough. But like, It's like if uh, if you left your kid with a more responsible version of Charlie. <laughs> with more hair at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, okay, so for those who don't know, by this point... Han and Leia have three children. Jason, Jaina, they're twins, and then Anakin, who's, I guess, is he a, a year, basically a year exactly younger? Yeah. Um, and, He'd be a year old by this point. Which doesn't happen for most parents, because nobody wants to toss another baby out when they've got two twins, but Han and Leia, they don't really watch their kids. They give them to... Uh, to Winter. Basically, Winter, who's... Leia's, um, she grew up with Leia. Childhood she, best friend. Childhood best friend. 
worked in the uh, resist or the alliance in the New Republic, um, and now is a full time babysitter basically. And she seems to be really, really like I don't know. I think she low key kind of hates it. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say what a complete waste of Winter's actual yeah. skill set that is? Like, there's nothing wrong with being a childcare provider, but that isn't her no. skill set. She's like no. a master spy. It's yeah. like, okay, Winter, now you're going to sit on this rock. Having Winter be in charge of, like, the security for Jaina, Jason, and Anakin, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. But having her be, like, the literal the primary, yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's what the job started as. And then instead of just having her being in charge, that's like, actually, you want to stay on Anoth with them? Yeah, she's she's like, well, I'm kind of the best, like, cryptologist or like the best numbers person we have like yeah watch watch the jedi children they can be corrupted by the dark side if they're on coruscant (laughs) but um but yeah did you kind of feel like uh winter was maybe kind of fiending after admiral akbar there i i didn't get that sense hold on let me see if i can find the uh because because so i Akbar's he stops by okay so I guess let's talk about the basic plot first just because I know a lot of people listen to this without reading the book so it starts off um, with Akbar ferrying um, Leia to a diplomatic conference I guess on what's the actual planet called is it Vor? I think it's uh, no the Vors are the species I think I Vortex the Vor- oh it's is Vortex the yeah um, and this planet Vortex has this gigantic uh, cathedral made out of basically like glass. And it's like this really, it, it's, it's like the prime element of their culture, basically. They have this big festival each year. Um, and they haven't let the Cathedral of Winds play since the, uh, since the Empire took over. And now that Palpatine's dead, they're basically going to have their first performance in a couple of decades. Akbar is flying uh, Leia over there, and the absolute dope crashes his B-Wing into the thing, and in a pretty visceral scene, actually, ends up not only destroying this, like, priceless piece of the Vor um, culture, but he also kills, like, 300 of them. Yeah, which I thought was actually a surprisingly small number for what he did. Well, it seems like they can fly away. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess... But you can only fly away from puncturing glass so much. Yeah. But there's basically the three main plot lines to the book, uh, or four. Mm-hmm. There's Luke, Luke's Academy, where we're mostly dealing with Gantoris and Kip getting seduced by Exar Kun. We have the Leia and Akbar plot line, which starts off with this and turns into... Uh, Leia kind of trying feature. to convince Akbar to come back. Yeah, and then there's also away. the the Turpfin bit too. Yeah, where uh, basically um, Akbar's chief mechanic, his chief Mon Calamari uh, mechanic, is being like unwittingly used as an agent by the Empire. He was captured during, I guess, the height of the Empire, brought to Karita because everything happens at Karita. Um, that's where Ndala was trained. That's where Kip's brother is. That's where Turpfin was. Uh, experimented on and he has basically these uh this mind control gig or set up in his head he's got like a fake brain in there that makes him do things so uh, he ended up uh causing the shuttle to crash basically and he's kind of pulling some strings 
which we'll get even more of in the next book. Um, sorry, Corey, that I didn't mean to interrupt you though. No, that's uh, that's helpful information because mm-hmm. that's basically all we find out from that yeah. plot line in this book, other than Leia going to get Akbar back. Uh, then we have the Han and Lando storyline, which is theoretically about going to pick Lan- Leia up from places, but <laughs> I don't know that they ever actually do that. Uh, they do no, ship stuff really. to the Jedi Academy. They end mm-hmm. up with Mara for that as well. Yeah. And then finally, the most important plotline of all is Wedge and the scientist Quishucks from the last book. Where he is supposed to be in charge of keeping her safe. She was in charge of all the... Or she was one of the lead scientists or engineers at the Maw installation where Dalla was guarding. um, Where Death Star stuff was designed. Sun Crusher Mm -hmm. was designed. And she's basically in witness protection with Wedge. Uh, So we get a couple chapters with them. Uh, I Jedi references a bit where Corrin's like, hey, maybe you don't want to sleep with her. Maybe you want to be with Yella. Uh, (laughs) Because I guess Michael Stackpole was upset that the romances he had been setting up wasn't getting paid attention to. But uh, despite having her in witness protection, the main thing that happens in this plot line is Wedge and Quee go to Vortex to help clean up the glass cathedral in... <laughs> she picks up a piece of it and starts playing it. <laughs> and then the guy comes up, takes it away. He basically it? smacks that Smash it on the ground. Hands. No. <laughs> like, do you know how goddamn disrespectful that is? But this I is set like up I'm... to be like one of the most politically sensitive places in the Republic right now. And he <laughs> brings the person in witness protection there. I just imagine like... It's like covered with blood and whatnot. <laughs> She's just like yeah, there's little that, bits that of fours on it. Was kind of a bonehead move, wasn't it? Um, before I forget though, can I just read this? So, Akbar he gets um, he basically quits as being the commander for New Republic forces because he doesn't obviously know that the shuttle's been tampered. Turpfin, who again is working for the Empire, basically presents a report saying that it was his fault. Um, and Akbar decides, okay, I'll leave. Uh, he secludes himself to Mon Calamari. However, um, before he does, he stops by and visits Winter, who has the, uh, the final solo child, Anakin, um, with her. And we get a couple of, when I, when I read this passage, I thought there were some very clear sexual undertones. I believe there's something about um, her putting her hand on Akbar's large bicep, but that might have been later on. Um, but huh. Winter says, "Will you stay here for an evening's rest?" Ooh. And then, when Akbar says, "No, I can't," um, she says, "Akbar, you know I have the greatest respect for your abilities. It would honor me if you would stay here with me instead of going into hiding on your homeworld." Um, and then she says, "I'm all alone here. I could use your help." It gets lonely for the baby, dot, 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 and for me. And then he says, all right, I'm gonna, I'll think about it, but not right now. And she goes, I will be waiting if you change your mind. <laughs> all right. No, so, you, you, got, you got me convinced. It's... Are you actually convinced, or is it just, I'm just going to Google right now real quick. No, I, um, I'm 100% sure that is what was intended by that passage. Akbar Winter Fanfic. Okay, well, it's going to be there regardless. (laughs) Almost my children, a Star Wars fanfic. Oh, God. 
This is the closest we're going to get to Crystal Clear. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't know. I like how he, uh, he flicks her lights. He flicks the lights of the B-Wing at her as he's flying away, and she puts her hand up in a sad goodbye. Just like, I don't know, like, it makes me feel like that's, that's like not all she wanted there or something, and she's somehow the, I don't know, it's just. Okay. Anakin grows up with Akbar. No, no, this is going to sound crazy. And... What if everyone always says how similar Winter and Leia look, right? Right. Okay. What if, in reality, Akbar fathered Anakin Solo? And Winter and Leia switched places to basically hide the shame of that, and that's why we get this scene. And that's why that's why Akbar is so attached because he's also really, really attached to Baby Anakin. Even though there's like, I don't think there's really any like previous relationship between the two. Okay, so that Winter is actually Leia there. Yes. The Leia that crashes in the shuttle with Akbar is Winter. Mm-hmm. And she's living with Han. So Leia's the mother of uh, of all three kids. Han is the father of Jaina and Jason. Akbar's the father of Anakin. And that's why he's the most powerful of the three. Akbar felt a shudder to... Wait, hold on. Yeah, oh, Akbar felt a shudder go through him as he realized he would probably never see the dark-haired boy again. Even for a human, Winter looked strikingly distinctive to Akbar. Never heard him say that about Leia or anybody else. That's fair. As one of Anakin's bulbous eyes looked over at Akbar. <laughs> Damn, you're right. <laughs> a fish-like smell always seemed to come from the boy. <laughs> His diet of kelp would... <laughs> Listen, Winter's mere suggestion had been powerful enough to strip away layers of guilt and shame with which he had buried himself. Nope, this is, uh, I think you're on to something. Move over, Tycho. The words caught in his throat again, and he realized he was trembling. If I find my peace, perhaps, I shall return to you and the baby. There's something going on there, Yeah, this is is fucking weird. (laughs) They're trying to make some weird sitcom family. Yeah. Winter, Akbar, and Anakin living in an apartment in downtown Coruscant. Yep. Yep. I don't. I. I mean, I. I'm kind of interested. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Anything you want to bring up as a next uh, topic of discussion besides how Admiral Akbar apparently can? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of just. Despite... I'm kind of just done with the podcast now. I don't... Should we just know. talk about uh, Almost My Children, a Star Wars uh, fanfic, or? No, that's worse. <laughs> okay. Do um, you want to just go through uh, through Dawa's happenings for this book first? Sure. Because that doesn't really intersect much with anything else that goes on. Mm-hmm. It almost does with uh, Dantooine and Gantorus, but Gantorus is luckily dead by the time any of that happens. So. <laughs> well, no, Gantorus dies right Well, after. he dies soon after. Yeah. So it doesn't really impact anything. It just gets them out of the story. Yeah. Not that they were ever going to show back up in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, there's a lot of this. These books have a lot of the sort of small universe thing going on. Like, after Dala leaves the Maw, she goes to the Cauldron Nebula, which is where Eel Shaw was. 
kind of um, random. Yeah. Um, Especially then, considering that everyone forgot about Yulshaw. Yeah, so, and it's supposed to be basically like a shithole part of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, but she basically intercepts a New Republic Corvette, um, and she finds out that those people from Yulshaw, coincidentally enough, have now set up a base on Dantooine. Um, she goes there. They're on Dantooine? Sorry? They're on Dantooine? Never mind. I don't get it. It was. It was. You know that movie Star Wars. Yeah. I. It was. I was one of the lines from them. You just keep going. It's okay. fine. So, the uh, Eelshaw, uh refugees are on Dantooine. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and she murders them in like a pretty. I thought that scene was pretty brutal. The like massacre of the. Uh, the Dantooine um, yeah. settlers. Like, it talks about, like... So, basically, what happens is... Dahl is a really crappy character. No, she's not. But she... She, she basically... She comes out of the Maw. She's really pissed. Um, she doesn't want to lead the Empire to glory. She's basically trying to hurt the New Republic as much as possible. Um, and... So... They go to Dantooine... She starts firing on this. There's like a New Republic station there too. But, um, and then she sends down AT-ATs and stuff. And there's some pretty brutal scenes of like the settlers trying to run away and just getting like exploded. Evaporated in place. Evaporated. Yeah. Like War of the World style. Um, yeah, I was just like, I was like, wow, that's pretty brutal. Especially the story of these people, you know, they come from Eelshaw. They've basically been forgotten about. They finally are in this new place. It's like, paradise for them even though you know they're like they're they're basically living as like farmers but in a you know their planet's not like trying to kill them actively like their last one was yeah um yeah and they just get destroyed <laughs> and it's it's all because dala intercepted uh the supply ship that was happening to go there yes which what are the chances I guess maybe the supply ships were picking up some stuff on eel shaw as well but no, because she picks up the supply ship at the end of the Corellian run, so she's left the Culture Nebula. So there's like a lot of coincidences there. Yeah. Um, Luckily, it keeps it all tied together, and that style is only anywhere near successful attack. I guess she does yeah. destroy some Mon Calamari cities, but uh, that's only because in her next attack, uh, there is for the most important, I, I'm going to say most important New Republic shipyard. Maybe that's me overstating Mon Calamari's importance no, there. Definitely. Most, most important like by far. New Republic shipyard already been attacked by Imperials and devastated. The entire defensive force there is a B-wing squadron. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was almost going to take a picture of that, uh, sentence where it's like, we left a B-wing squadron up there to protect the shipyards. Like, how oh, did you? From what? <laughs> yeah. It, it does. It does mention to be fair though that there were a few smaller cruisers, um, but yeah, this is the most. This is the New Republic's most vital resource. Morath fucking Duel has a bigger fleet than Mon Calamari. Oh, by, by far, Morath Duel could have taken over Mon Calamari, no problem. And it's right there um, too. Yeah, and I think that there's one book where it says like the New Republic spends like ten percent of their, basically their GDP on the Mon Cal shipyards, mm. and they got like. That Nothing. one cruiser. Yeah, one ship. Um, but this actually is where uh, Leia's story does intersect with it. 
because what Leia does for a good part of the book is uh, she's she's kind of overwhelmed by the Coruscant politics. Mon Mothma is getting ill for a reason that no one understands, uh, which it turns out, well, I don't want to spoil it, but the drink that was thrown in her face maybe wasn't just a drink. But uh, so Mon Mothma's health is failing. Uh, Leia is being left as kind of the sole voice of reason on the council uh, now that Akbar's gone. Because it used to be that her Akbar and Mon Mothma were kind of what she calls the moderate wing of the council. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in the context of this debate where the New Republic has the Sun Crusher now. And so... There are like many generals like Garmbelobus is like, blow him up! Could just, probably could just blow up the Empire. <laughs> yep. And, and I'm, so, I'm kind of like, you probably could just blow up the Empire. <laughs> but you shouldn't, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Leia decides that the best way to solve this is to try to convince Akbar to come back. Uh, Akbar is resigned before any sort of like verdict has been passed on what a punishment for him would be after Vortex. He flies to Anoth and then he flies to Mon Calamari. Um, and Leia goes to convince him to come back. She meets uh, an ambassador named Silgal, who shows very obvious force powers, yet does not suspect a thing, despite the fact that she's actively telling people the outcomes of her powers. Uh, and so when Silgal and Leia are visiting Akbar, trying to talk to him about what he needs to do to come back and help the New Republic, uh, he's busy looking at underwater earthquakes. <laughs> and... Yeah. Uh, this is when Dala attacks, so he takes over the defense of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, not only are the Mon Calamari shipyards important, but like, the Mon Calamari make a lot of ships. Presumably they find their own planet important, um, so you'd think they'd have, you know, something there to protect themselves, but... Yeah, they had so... a half-built Mon Calamari cruiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the battle goes basically... Dala is using an old Tarkin trick, which is unfortunate for her because in Star Wars Legends, I don't know if this is true for canon or not, but in Legends, um, Akbar was basically Tarkin's slave for a while. Um, yeah. So she's doing this plan where basically two Star Destroyers are attacking the planet of Mon Calamari itself. It's sort of a feint. She's hiding a third one behind Mon Calamari's moon. And the whole idea is that hopefully she can pull the meager forces that Mon Calamari does have away from the shipyard, and then that third Star Destroyer can come out and attack it. I've done a battle breakdown. Yeah. If you want to watch if, it. If, uh, if you don't draw those B-Wings away, then it's all going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. To be fair, a squad of B-Wings, that's a lot of damage. Yeah. But if They also have like 10 squads of TIE Fighters. All they'd have to do is get uh, the proton torpedoes to penetrate the shields, take out the engine hardpoint, and then the shield generator hardpoint, and then it's basically... And then just auto-resolve. Free, yeah. Then you, yeah. you got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what was I going to say? Um, so, yeah, what Akbar does is, because he knows the technique he's studied um, under Tarkin, he knows the faint he can tell, so he basically powers up a unfinished Mon Calamari cruiser rams it into the hiding Star Destroyer as it shows itself and causes it to self-destruct. He basically kind of... He basically springs the trap, coaxes them to bring the third Star Destroyer out, and then uh, blows it up. Yeah, and this brings Dalla's uh, Star Destroyer count down to two. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very sad about this for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still have some TIE fighter squadrons, though. This is seen as a very big point for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But this gives this gives Dala an idea. Hey, if if someone can ram their Mon Calamari cruiser into my Star Destroyer, why don't I fly a Star Destroyer into Coruscant? I'm sure they this don't is... have a planetary shield. Yeah, I did a video about this. You might have seen. This is literally the worst planned battle in all of Star Wars. What Dala? Because so she loses. Dala is pretty much always emotional. She's never thinking strategically. She just wants to hurt things and cause damage. She's reluctant to even leave uh, Mon Calamari after the Star Destroyer shows up, but has to because the New Republic fleet arrives. Um, and yeah, her plan is just like, let's just go attack Coruscant. We'll just we'll just ram a Star Destroyer into it. Um, except like Coruscant clearly has a fleet. At least, at least a few ships there. Coruscant has a shield. It's always had a shield. Um, it just it makes no sense. Like her, her plan is like a no go from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, like he needs. She, she's just trying to like fly past them, distract them for a bit, come in behind the star or behind the. Uh, is she doing that again? No, she just wants to fly fly no, in. She just wants up. to literally fly right in. She's yeah. like, okay, we've got two Star Destroyers left. We'll drop all the crew from one. We'll just basically run it straight into the planet and cause it to self-destruct. Yeah, and they're planning this in the middle of the Cauldron Nebula. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. when they're just about to, to launch their assault, mm-hmm. Kip Durin shows up, having uh, having stolen, stolen the, the, Star, the Sun Crasher. We haven't really talked about that plot line yet. But he's mm-hmm. on the warpath against the Empire, and... Uh, he is just gonna blow up the Cauldron Nebula, which kills Dala's last non-Gorgon Star Destroyer. Is it Manticore that she had left, or Basilisk? Uh, I think it's which one was Manticore? I can't remember. Yeah, I think but you're right. I think Basilisk was. Uh, it's kind of weird though, because he's like, "There's no other way to destroy it." When like Han rammed through one in the first book, no problem. <laughs> it's probably what I would have done. Like, yeah, because it takes I, like it, hours to blow the stars up, and it's like, yeah, just fly through it really violent like those stars didn't do anything to you like yeah could be people in there (laughs) well kip doesn't care about people yeah well i think he kind of still does at this point i mean we'll we'll see in next book i guess maybe not but yeah that's one thing i do want to talk about uh because i think we're kind of at that at the jedi academy storyline is the only major one left and i do want to talk a bit about how much is kip responsible for his actions and how much is actually expected influence because this comes up a lot in mm. in, in I Jedi, actually. And, oh, okay. Uh, well, that as well. Other characters bring it up later. But just in the context of this book, mm. it's kind of... By the end of Champions of the Force, the next book, Luke is kind of just saying, hey, he was under the control of the Sith. And that kind of just sweeps it all under the rug. And mm-hmm. Corrin's like, nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> He's, this think? is his fault. I yeah. I agree. I'm on the Michael Stackpole slash Corin side of this, mm-hmm. where like sure Kip is under the influence of Exar Kun, but you do see a few instances where he's like aware that Exar Kun is baiting him into evil shit, and he thinks he can hold off the influence. But at a certain point, Kip is responsible for his actions there, mm-hmm. and Luke and Corin kind of talk about how, in a way, Kip has been given a life sentence to serve as a Jedi. Uh, 
But like what Kip does there, even if the like the governor of uh, of Karita is one of the most evil people left in the galaxy, you still mm-hmm. annihilated a bunch of people who were under the control of the Empire. Yeah. And it is really not any better than Alderaan. Yeah, I mean, you do got to feel a little bad for Kip, though, just because of how shitty his life has been. Like, And I do, but at the same time, yeah, no, I you blew up a planet. Like, if he had held up a grocery store or something. Not even a planet, like a solar system. I don't yeah. know if there, there could other be other... I think there are other populated planets yeah. in the Karita system. So. Like, if he'd even, like, blown up the entire military academy, and they're yeah. just, like, non-combat staff there, like, uh, mm-hmm. admin staff... I'd be able to say, okay, it was, he did that. That's terrible. He can atone for it. But no, Mm -hmm. he blew up the planet and he went through a (laughs) lot of effort to get the thing to blow up the planets. Even when he wasn't fully dark side, he was advocating for, hey, why are we getting rid of this when we can blow up some planets? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't really redeem himself. Like he spends the next 40 books arguing with Luke on every point. And Luke's like, you know what? There... It's a good thing that he's around to keep me honest, even though almost everything he does is kind of evil. wrong, and, like, he's, like, because in NJO, it's basically the same thing, where he wants to be, a, like, basically a warmonger, and Luke's like, uh, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> was Kip pro-alpha blue? I think... I don't, I don't think he was pro-alpha blue. I don't think any Jedi were, but I'm not sure. Like, there was a, there was a point where Kip kind of turns his ways around a bit, but it's, mm-hmm. it's so late that it's like, come on. It was before Alpha Blue, though, because that's, like, pretty much the end. Yeah, and but, like, when Dalla becomes the chief of state of the Galactic Alliance and she's trying to, like, force Luke out, it's mm, like, yeah, you put him. this mass murderer on your council. He's in charge. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to be like, no, like, Dalla does have a point there. I'd love to see, like, a uh, House of Cards-style <laughs> book of Luke just, like, bribing people to make the kip neuron issue go away <laughs> he's like well, we've got a real optics problem here kip <laughs> you murdered literally six billion people like so uh, to kind of loop back to circle back around to use proper corporate buzz speak uh mm-hmm. to how this all starts we start off the book at the jedi academy luke's getting a shipment of stuff and my first note when reading the book was that like Luke is take, basically taking an inventory of all the stuff sent by the New Republic, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, this list must have been compiled by Leia herself because it had a bunch of like frivolous shit, mm-hmm. and it just makes Leia look like a complete idiot." Like yeah, Leia, I mean, Leia's a practical person. She doesn't. She may have like a fancier side, but it's basically like she's sending Athorian statues and gourmet food or whatever. Yeah. When, if anything, usually Luke would be portrayed as like, like Leia's very like, I don't know, kind of serious, I guess. Like, Yeah. Like she's actually got the experience running this kind of training camp to some extent, mm-hmm. whereas like the rebellion would have been different, but she's been involved in that kind of administration before. Whereas Luke never has, so even if she doesn't have exactly the right idea of like what you'd need for a Jedi praxium, like the basic idea of you need the essentials and not this frivolous crap. Like I, yeah, I want to find the list of what it was. Cause it was, well, it's it was pretty nonsense. early on. Yes. Yeah, I think it's page 11. Uh, ish. 
That might have been. Uh... I thought it was like page one or two, to be honest. Actually, my my Kindle will have it with the note. But anyways, uh, so yeah, he's got his students there, the unidentified ones that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gantoris from the start is kind of evil. Luke is not a great judge of character. I think we talked about that in the first mm-hmm. uh, in the first Jedi Academy book. Yeah, and in this book, it's like. <laughs> Like, so much, like, really questionable shit happens that, like, should have really been a warning sign for Luke. It's like, he catches, like, Gantoris, like, beheading a small rabbit. He's like, beware of the dark side. Not actually, but I'm just like, basically, really obvious shit like that. Like, Gantoris really tries to murder him in a duel, and Luke's just like, better be careful, bud. (laughs) It's like the next one. Take your lightsaber back. Yeah. Here, uh, the cargo, uh, Yeah. Leia herself must have compiled the cargo list. Exotic food synthesizers, comfortable clothes, heaters, humidity neutralizers, even a few hollow Athorian wind chimes. It's like the food synthesizer, sure, but the exotic part, Leia would know better than that. Uh, Comfortable clothes, like sure, you want like weird Jedi robes, fine. Heaters, humidity neutralizers, those can be useful, but not the essentials. But the Athorian wind chimes, like why would Leia send that? Yeah, that's not a very, that's not a very Leia thing, is it? No. no. That's, in fact, really dumb. <laughs> that is, in fact, really stupid. Yeah, no. Um, you're right. So, that is, that is that, I didn't really pick up on that, but that is a little weird. I think Luke just doesn't give his sister enough credit. Like, Leia was in the Imperial Senate when Luke was still making sandcastles on Tatooine. <laughs> do you think that's a common thing that kids do on Tatooine? Sandcastles? What the fuck else are you going to do? Well, where are they going to get the water to do that? They I didn't empty say they up the good moisture vessels. <laughs> so they're making a, a an amorphous sand pile. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't say they were good sand sandcastles. <laughs> but saying sandcastle does imply it somehow looks like a sandcastle. I said Tatooine sandcastle. I lower the standards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tatooine sandcastle sounds like some sort of weird sex weird sex act. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Winter and Akbar ever did the Tatooine sandcastle? sandcastle is just not having sex. <laughs> it's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. Yeah, yeah there you go. Oh, yeah, because Tatooine sand is coarse and rough and it gets... Ugh. Gross. <laughs> You're I don't want to given anything the Tatooine sandcastle now. <laughs> this is why we're never getting invited to do a panel at Star Wars Celebration. We get, we get this every episode in your... You're just as right as you were last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the Akbar fan fiction. Yeah, the I can think of lots of good Tatooine um, sex acts. Lots of stuff involving like crate dragons and crate dragon layers and Tuscan Raiders and Jawa boom pipes and. Right, Java Boom Pipe was, I think, the first one of those where I think you're on to something. The rest, <laughs> we need to workshop some more. We'll get there. Uh, I'm, listen, I'm just spitballing. Moisture farming, that's that's a good point. Ooh. Ghost fish. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Anyways, so Gantoris is terrible. 
uh, in I Jedi, it kind of spends more time on Gantoris uh, mm-hmm. because it kind of puts forward a rivalry between Gantoris and Corin. So they're competing with each other a lot. You mean uh, Gant- Gantoris and Nameless Student Number Seven? Yes, Nameless Student Number Seven. It really adds a lot to the story knowing that uh, Nameless Student Number Seven and Gantoris had this kind of contest going on where, like, Cam and Corin came with their own lightsabers and mm-hmm. they were kind of teaching everyone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gantoris, he was trying to compare himself to Corrin and vice versa. But uh, Gantoris then does get visited by Exar Kun. He was worried about the about Luke because of the Dark Man uh, that visited, that it was going to be his doom. Then he meets him. He's like, you know what? I should listen to this guy. He's got <laughs> the right ideas. But then he builds his lightsaber with an adjustable knob. Yeah. And crystals he got from the side of a... Are they crystals from the? I forget, are they from the Yavin gas giant or something? They said. Uh, I th- I don't know if he uses Kruska gems. I think they're from a temple somewhere. Or yeah, they I might be Kruska gems. Yeah, that he found in the temple. I, I think. But that's much better than how Corin builds his lightsaber in I Jedi, uh, <laughs> because instead of being like a Kruska gem or needing any kind of like Kyber crystal or anything, mm-hmm. uh, he gets gems from some like. Uh, Is it Vima Devota? no no that's too bad uh, yeah it's from like a bottle of brandy that uh <laughs> leonia tavira sends him like some weird gifts there mm-hmm. and it's like okay i i guess you can just make a lightsaber or whatever you want then yep hmm well how about that yeah and then so gantoris and luke have their duel i love how gantoris tells luke he's like I've discovered that you are not the dark man I saw in my prophecies. Luke doesn't do shit about it. Huh. It's like, <laughs> strange is, that. It's like, is that so? <laughs> well, there's Gantoris doing that. Then Gantoris literally burning to a crisp in his room after yeah. the duel and after uh, the whole Dantooine thing goes down. Gantoris <laughs> has no reaction to that, really. Uh, does what Luke does tell Luke, him? What does Luke say again when uh, Gantoris burns to a crisp? Beware um, the darks. <laughs> yeah, he's like everyone's standing around him, like say something, Master Luke. He's like uh, uh. in the original draft, he yelled out, "Clean up an aisle three. <laughs> <laughs> it's like beware the darks. I need to walk in. He's like fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> They're watching him go down the hall. He's like, yes. The <laughs> little lag kick. <laughs> No, like, maybe I should move my academy off of the planet for now. Any kind of emergency measures. By this point, like, Gantoris is burned up. Uh, Kip comes in a week, and then Kip starts acting weird. Tion's trying to, like, tell the history of Nomi Sunrider and uh, the battle against Exar Kun. And uh, Kip's like, no, actually, uh, the Sith were right. And Luke's like, hey, uh, hey where, did, where did you find out these? Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter. You're not the only one who's a teacher here. And Luke's <laughs> yeah. reality. Yeah. And then he gets huh. a distraction, and Luke's like, thankfully, I was over with this awkward situation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I had a lot to do more that. than an awkward situation, bro. <laughs> like the, he's so irresponsible in these moments. Yeah. Everything Corin says about him in I Jedi is just spot on. I'm excited to read that now. I wonder when, when should we 
uh, read that. I think we should probably wait a bit because it'd be a bit much to do these mm. three and then immediately jump into that. But it, I think it's a good way to come back into this stuff and maybe Ice Arch Revenge and all that. Yeah. But. Okay. Then we could do like Callista afterwards, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. Um. Yeah. So, what do you want to talk about now? So, basically, I, I think we covered most of Kip's storyline. He well, he, he leaves. Tr- he leaves. He steals the Sun Crusher. He tries to blow up. Well, he does successfully blow up one of the Star Destroyers. Well, first, Mara goes to the Jedi Academy. We get oh, some yeah, gets, very little light still. flirting between Luke and Mara, maybe. We also get some weird come-ons to her by Lando, which yeah. is awful. There's another kind of quasi-sexual moment where uh, Lando's like, Mara, I thought you hated Han. And Mara's like, oh, we came to an agreement, <laughs> I guess you could say. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, that one I think you're reading too much in. But yeah, then you're going to like open up to a page. And it's yeah. like, well, actually, Mara told me a story about... <laughs> details about Han's day <laughs> that I just somehow missed. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 it's right here. Look, look, mushroom shape. <laughs> <laughs> the stormy surprisingly, chameleon. Surprisingly wide. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Mara, she's there for a week. She leaves. Luke loses Gantoris, mm-hmm. then loses uh, Kip. Then loses Mara. Would have lost Mara sooner if she if she had her ship soon enough. Uh, loses Corrin as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Katarn hasn't shown. Maybe Kyle's one of the other ones in the background. No, because Kyle is a Jedi right now. Well, none of the students are Jedi right now. But Kyle, Kyle doesn't go to the Academy till later. Uh, Silgal shows up at some point. Like, I, I really think Silga must have been aware of her powers. Yeah, I think she, maybe she just wasn't trying to draw attention to herself because she knows how Jedi have been treated or something. Because, well, I don't know, she very obviously does draw attention to herself. Because, like... Yeah. She knows she's doing something, and she doesn't explain what she's doing. I guess she just doesn't know it's the Force. But then does she, she think like, she's, like, Sylvia Brown or something? Like, yeah, and it's not like... Instead- <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like instead of saying, don't worry, that shark won't eat us, it's like, that shark's going to eat that fish, which is going to eat that fish, which is going to eat that one. It's just like, she, then she's walking around like Jesus after the attack yeah. on Mon Calamari. Then she gets to, uh, she gets to Yavin, and she's like, well, Leia says maybe I have some powers. Like, She's okay, just very clearly. Bashful. Come on, yeah. <laughs> I really like Sogol, as we've covered yeah. before, but that that just makes her look as dumb as Leia's packing. I was wondering, um, does the whole thing that they say about Mon Calamari female looking different, is that carried over? Because, like, it talks about how, like, Mon Cal, like, Silgal is, like, a Mon Calamari female is, like, slimmer and, like, different color. Uh, I mean, it's, like, different coloration and, like, different proportions, but I don't think it's meant to be, like, too much sexual dimorphism there yeah okay. so like like the pictures of silgold do present her as like not quite as bulbous as akbar and mm-hmm. their eyes seem to be more inset than yeah but yeah 
Speaking uh, of, uh, one thing I meant to mention earlier when you were talking about um, Akbar, they go to the meeting and uh, Hrykum Horn is there. And I was like, oh, that's the guy from um, Courtship Princess Leia, the fat one. But then yeah. I looked it up and that's Thrykum Horn. And yeah. this is a different character because there's a spelling mistake. Um, <laughs> they didn't just say, like, no, that's actually the same person. They turned it into a new character. Which is really dumb, because it would have been nice to have it be the same guy. Yeah, fucking heckin' Thorm. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think of Doris Gatey 1? Uh, I prefer Doris Gatey 2. Uh, such, a, such a boomer. Well, Doris Gatey 1, he gets his big moments in the next book, right? No. Oh, no, that that's when uh, Nighthammer attacks. Yeah. So he's... I get that mixed up sometimes, too, but yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's so similar. It's Dala and it's the kids and yeah. Well, I mean, I mean the the students, not the kids, but yeah, yeah. So Dorse doesn't really do much in this. Then no, he's he's friends with Gantoris. He's like the only one that's a friend of Gantoris at the mo at that point. Yeah, well, he's like but... his partner at least. Yeah, uh, Gantoris doesn't respect him very much. It's mm-hmm. it's very uh, Jake Peralta and Charles Boyle mm-hmm. kind of dynamic. Okay, I can see it. But, Brooklyn yeah, there's there's not really much to, to comment on right now. Yeah. One thing I was thinking, um, I was kind of thinking of you when I read this. Whenever they talk about the Jedi holocron, it kind of reminds me of, in Harry Potter, the uh, the magical portraits. Mm-hmm. But I guess that it's, like, actually the spirits of the people in there, is it? or No, because no? uh, there can be a portrait of a living person. It kind of, like takes so them and like a lot of them yeah it, it's similar technology i think i think that's how they make them mm-hmm. because it's basically so like the holocron it's kind of cool because it's basically like uh a, it's like basically an ai made up of the personality of an ancient jedi so like you can ask it questions and mm-hmm. stuff and it will give you information the one thing i do like is it's it's the hol- they're using the holocron that leia literally yanks it of palpatine's hands in dark empire yeah <laughs> she's like i think i'll take this and pushes him over on his bed <laughs> well i think a better way to put it is that like uh the paintings in harry potter are more of like a, a caricature a snapshot of the person at that moment in time uh, okay. uh so it has their personality maybe it has some of their knowledge uh but then the part the painting can like develop its own knowledge and shit uh, whereas the the holocron is more like a user interface for a set of information, mm-hmm. where they took that information and they put it from the perspective of uh, Vodosius Boss, mm-hmm. and uh, it's more like Ask Jeeves, where like Jeeves isn't the one actually telling you this shit. It's just they decided to make it a yeah. weird English butler, uh, and for this they decided to make it a dead Jedi in commemoration of that guy. Mm. So I think it's more like that situation because there's still like a force ghost of Voto C.S. Bass out there in uh, Abeloth land, probably mm-hmm. having dinner with Jason and yeah. Mara. Yeah. Well, not Jason because Jason goes to Sith, uh, Sith hell. Well, right. purgatory. Yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about now? I feel like we're, we're really flying through this book. Yeah, there, there isn't really that much that happens in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we say that we've already been talking for an hour, but a good forty-five minutes of that was Akbar and Winter. Let's talk about Mara, Mara and Talon Card apparently being retired, which yeah I thought was weird. This is let's keep in mind this is two years after the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah, 
So he was setting up that organization in the Thrawn trilogy, apparently to just leave it immediately. Mm -hmm. And he's still active a good 30 years, 40 years later in... Uh, yeah yeah he he's not that luke, old he goes to luke's get going away party <laughs> yeah um, he's probably it, only like 70 at that point he's not he's maybe in his 40s in the thrawn mm -hmm. trilogy right i wouldn't even say he's in his 40s i would say he's in his 30s but i guess i guess he's just trying to get some heat off his back maybe maybe but he just leaves Mara in charge, and we get my least favorite iteration of Mara out of that whole situation. She's it's very, she's like a caricature kind of of yeah her character in the Thrawn trilogy. Well, they kind of like take her in page one of the Thrawn trilogy and turn that into who she is, mm -hmm. and just kind of disregard all the character growth yeah. that happened. Because like by the end of the Last Command, her and Luke are like pretty much fine. Luke gives yeah. her the lightsaber, but now with this, it's like. Oh, she she hates Luke. Wow, they can't be in a room together. Yeah. And it's like, it's basically her character, except now her eyes are a little kinder. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, the... we also get, is it the Krellian trilogy where she's... No, it's not the Krellian trilogy, she's with Lando. Uh... No, that's, uh, that's the Cluster trilogy. Hmm. Where she's like... They're half dressed on the phone with Luke, mm -hmm. but that's just a cover story. <laughs> She's like, they're like literally mid, mid uh, coitus. Mm. But it's just a, it's just a cover. It's just to convince Luke and everyone else. That's when they're hunting for uh, what's his name, right? On behalf of Talon Card, or not Talon Card? What's his name? George Cardass. Yeah, yeah, George Cardass. Mm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot else to talk. I'm trying to think. I, think, I mean, yeah, I think that's all I wanted. To... We covered most of the major plot points in this book. I mean, it's it's a fun book. I think just like the last one, um, for me, Kevin J. Anderson really nails like the fun tone of these books, and like this is a good representation of how I kind of imagine the early uh, Bantam EU and like not super early, but the Bantam EU in my head. I guess it's just it's fun. It's pretty light. Um, some wacky stories. Um, it's not the it's not the best Star Wars EU book, but I think it's a fun adventure, mm -hmm. especially when you put the whole trilogy together. Yeah, it, it does suffer a bit from like typical uh, part two of a trilogy stuff where you're kind of building up a bit, you don't get much payoff. Mm -hmm. But yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, do you want to give it a rating, and then we can talk, answer some questions and stuff. Sure. Uh, on my side, for my recording, I'll head over to our rankings, but okay. uh, I don't know if I even... Yeah, there's a few that are missing from this. Um, but for me, I think I put, put it in my lower third, and mm -hmm. I feel like this is basically just going to go where Jedi Academy did, but one lower. Mm -hmm. Or where Jedi Search did, rather. Yeah, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but right now I'm going to say that that'll probably be the exact same for me. Maybe we'll we'll solidify this later when we can take more time to look at the list. And yeah, your bottom half right now uh, was Iron Fist, Courtship of Princess Leia. Then I think you had Jedi Search, then Wraith Squadron, Solo mm -hmm. Command, Truce of Bakura, Kratos Trap. All right, well, I'd probably put it above Truce of Bakura then. Yeah, that's basically where I've got it, third last of the ones we've done. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but still an enjoyable book for me anyway. Like I, I, I really enjoyed reading the whole thing. I kind of had to rush this one and I was kind of wishing I could slow down a bit just because I do like the, uh, the tone and the, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just a fun book. It was brought down a little bit for me because I did just read I Jedi beforehand. Mm. So I got like the whole trilogy. Then this was just like kind of a truncated version of the events spread out a bit more where I already got the finale of everything with that. And this is like without the context of uh, I Jedi in there, which I think it survives fine without it. It's just when you already just read that, uh, Mm -hmm. it does feel weird to have uh, like the order I did it in for this. It's Corrin being removed, but in reality, I Jedi was written afterwards and it's Corrin being injected into it. Uh, But it's hard to get out of the. Yeah, for sure. You and that's fair i think i think it's fair to compare it, it to uh to a, to another story i think that's fine uh yeah so we've got quite a few emails okay. um i'll just go ahead and read one uh one from joel um do you think that the new star first of all you can get our email by the way it's tapcaptransmissions at gmail.com um, do you think the new Star Wars movies moving forward will be like uh, the books when it comes to making connections to the wider universe and will it depend on the writers and directors? J.J. Abrams tends to do mo- more of his own things, yet we see anthology films like Rogue One and Solo making connections. Uh, Ryan is very hard to tell because the story is isolated. Anyway, curious to hear your thoughts about how the new Star Wars films are having similar strengths and flaws of EU books. I mean, I like the connections... It's kind of annoying because episode nine had some connections on like a really, really basic and superficial like element. Like we get the voices of Jedi at the end who are from the new EU, I'll call it. And but yeah, hopefully Mm -hmm. we see I I think we will with because the less the new movies will, I think, be a lot different than the Skywalker saga. And hopefully, well, not hopefully, but I think likely more like the uh Rogue One and Solo. Yeah, I think something that uh, we're less likely to get with the way it's done now is a sort of Dark Apprentice, I Jedi situation or Jedi Academy I Jedi situation, where because uh, stuff is kind of set from the start to work together, and there is like more of an emphasis on taking and using other people's characters within the universe. So like. Uh, if you want to use Ahsoka, you use Ahsoka rather than making mm-hmm. your new character who's basically just Ahsoka in another place. Yeah. Or like when they're, whenever they do set up making a new Jedi Academy or whatever happens after uh, Episode Nine, if there is another Jedi Order afterwards, uh, then it's unlikely that we'd get a story and then later have a retelling of that story with Ahsoka inserted or with... Uh, Ezra inserted. Instead, they'll probably be involved in some... Or Cal inserted. They'll probably be involved from the start, if they are at all. Yeah, um, that'd be nice, I think. Um, then we have another one from Joel. Uh, let's we see. actually get two more from Joel that kind of go over the same sort of idea okay. of, like, uh, including uh, different Legends characters or Legends ideas mm-hmm. and whether... Uh, stuff after episode nine should be treated as not part of the Skywalker saga, but as their own entities. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So I think we mostly covered that. Um, we got a lot to get through today. So yeah. And we'll I think we talked about uh, some of that in the last episode too, with yeah. adding legends characters in. Do you want to read one from uh, Neil? 
And so Neil says, hey guys, hope you guys are getting lots of clicks with everyone stuck in front of their computers. Thank you. Hopefully yeah. people are enjoying the podcast in their downtime yeah, and staying sure. safe. Don't go outside if you do not have to. Seriously, don't do it. Uh, this trilogy I'd always avoided because I heard of the Albatross of the Suncrusher, and I was shaking my head when it flew through the Star Destroyer. Then later when it got hit by turbo lasers or rattled, there was no chance of building any tension. But aside from the Suncrusher, I rather enjoyed it and finished the trilogy early. Wish I would have read it sooner. Side note, reading uh, about the secret weapons installation, doesn't that feel like it could have been the perfect setup for the fleet in Rise of Skywalker? The timeline fits, I actually figured we had a lost fleet situation when I saw the first teaser. Plus, if they made 10,000 Imperial 1 Star Destroyers, that would have been wide enough to establish the Final Order. We didn't need those mm-hmm. shark-jumping cannons. And we could have seen Orbital Bombardment of Kajimi from 5 to 10 ships. Would have been sweet. Anyway, take care, Neil. Yeah, I, I agree that would have worked. Um, there's no reason for them to have super weapons. They could have just devastated the planet. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been even more kind of notable in that way, because it would have been like, oh shit, they got a lot of ships. Yeah. Um, I, I did kind of think it was a hidden fleet type of thing. Um I didn't think Palpatine was going to be involved like that. Um, at first, anyway, I did think there were was kind of going to be a... I thought there might be not quite a Katana fleet thing, but maybe um, Kylo kind of tracking down a lost Imperial fleet or something. Um, but yeah, it could have worked for sure. And I, and I agree with everything you say about the Sudden Crusher. Obviously, it being indestructible is definitely an issue. Yeah, I think last time I said that the only thing I dislike more than the Zeistin is the Suncrusher. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, it, yeah, I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. I don't love super weapons in general. Yeah, me neither. I mean, when they're yeah. hard to build and giant and take that much time and investment or whatever, but when it's on a, a smaller ship that can just do whatever it wants, mm-hmm. then it just, or when there's 17 of them at once. I don't yeah. love that either. Thank you for the question, Neil. Next up, we have a, a pretty simple one from Luke asking when the new rebellion takes place. And it is right after Black Fleet Crisis, I think. Yeah, it's five years after the Jedi Academy series. Yeah, so quite a quite a time jump there. Lots of stuff happens. I guess Leia would be chief of state by then, right? Uh, yes. Still chief of state, I guess, because... Yeah. Because Mon Mothma is pretty much done after this. Yeah. And then it's Gaverson takes over for Hand of Thrawn duology, but that's basically lays right. on hiatus. But, yeah, that was uh, always kind of weird. Yeah. Luke does bring up another point here. It felt very similar to Jedi Search and the New Rebellion. Uh, so are they close together? Uh, I think that, and it also says thanks. Keep up the great work on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. But uh, I think part of that is just the fact that in the Bantam era, so this was the 90s Star Wars books were published by a different company than does it now and has done it since about 2000, Del Rey. Uh, and there are very different tones between how things were done in that decade, uh, aside mm-hmm. from just being the 90s and feeling 90s-y, where mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot more of Star Wars like this pulp standalone adventure situation uh, where there was less connectivity between the books as like an ongoing plot there was still a good amount of that but it was more you set up whatever your situation was within one or two books you resolve it in one or two books and while this it's more the continuous threads are more the rebellion is slowly Mm -hmm. inching its way to wiping out the empire rather than any major character changes so you end up with uh a certain tone that's fairly consistent some places do it better than others uh some places 
do it worse than others, but that is why it is uh, a similar tone there. Yep. I personally quite like the Bantam tone. They're my favorite books, I think. My favorite Star Wars books. And yeah, people are allowed to have different tastes, and you're allowed to be wrong about that. <laughs> um, so we, we had an email about Travis that I'm not, or from Travis that I'm not going to read, uh, just because he encouraged, or he mentioned some hosts. I don't think we'll talk about any potential hosts on the podcast, but we are always open. Uh, Corey was joking the other day that, isn't it crazy how having Star Wars Explained just ruined it? Because we had Star Wars Explained, who was a great uh, a great uh, guest, and then we never had any more. Yeah, he was a uh, guest on, like, our, what, fifth episode? Yeah. On, uh, One of the was that the back? No, that wasn't the back door. No, I don't think so. Because it was definitely not the back door. Uh, no. I just like finding... Because you made that joke, and I was like, Alex isn't going to get that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, we'll definitely consider more guests in the future. No promises about specific ones, though. Yeah, we've had a few people we've talked to who may or may not show up at some point. Yep. But uh, George Lucas confirmed. Yeah, well, we turned <laughs> him down. He doesn't understand Star Wars. Yeah, he's like, we can't have Mar- Mara Jade mentioned in it. And I'm like, sorry, George. <laughs> he's like we're, I, we're only dealing with the true canon here the star wars droids tv show <laughs> the dream is toy is troy denning right i think it's possible I yeah really that's do. the the most realistic highest yeah. we can aim that makes it sound like i'm shitting on troy denning there i just think no, he's the only just, author who would actually consider coming on a podcast i think i think i've seen michael stackpole on podcasts before hmm. yeah that'd be cool maybe we can get them both at the same time yeah. Ooh. If we could yeah. actually get uh, Kevin Anderson and Michael Stackpole on at the same time, so they can tell us which version of this trilogy is better, <laughs> I Jedi or Oh God, Jedi Academy. I I can't imagine those guys give a shit anymore. No, I I, I don't think they. I, I, reading them, I just felt like Michael Stackpole doesn't like Kevin J. Anderson very much. Um, I would love to get um. Oh, what's his name? Who wrote Dark Empire again? Uh, Tom Vitch. Yeah, Tom Vitch or Vike and and Timothy Zahn. Oh God, <laughs> the really Jerry does... Springer Star Wars podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the final email we have is from Cody, uh, who asks about Master and Apprentice. I haven't read that yet. Um, I have a copy of it even right. on my bookshelf, but I haven't read it yet. Um, my major issue is Gray apparently forgot Jedi have Force abilities besides jumping and visions. Yeah. That does happen. People can be... Some people are really good about Force abilities. Like, we see... Um, there are, like, some of the, like, post-NJO stuff, there's, like, a really wide array of Force abilities. Like, especially with, like, when lots of Jedi are working together. They have, like, their crazy battle meditation and stuff. Um, yeah. Basically, Jedi yeah. can do whatever the author really wants them to mm-hmm. for their plot. It's not... There's also, like, pretty differing like levels of strength like sometimes there's like a situation and it can be frustrating i noticed this in the clone wars too where like anakin and obi-wan will be like there'll be like three battle droids and like a really difficult like they'll have to like surrender to something that they shouldn't have to surrender to or whatever and just like just use the force but the force moves at the strength of plot i guess (laughs) and there's always inconsistencies I think that is it. Is this going to be our shortest half-calf ever? I think by a fair amount. Well, I think it was probably an hour and a half for our shortest before this, and we're at 120, so. All right, well, 
guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we will be reading Champions of the Force. I assume we'll do it on the 9th, which is two Thursdays from now. Um, oh, yeah, I, I meant to mention, I've been listening to these books on Audible as well as reading them, and I kind of want to give you guys um, my thoughts on whether you can do the Audible version because it is way more accessible um, than, like, I know a lot of people don't have time to read full books. Um, for this book, I'm going to say the Audible version is completely fine. It cuts out completely the zoo thing, um, but other than that, it pretty much captures everything. So if you want to listen to the Audible mentioned. version, yeah, exactly. If you want to listen to the Audible version, it's only four hours long, I think. Um, yeah, it pretty much covers everything. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the audiobooks are actually shorter than our podcasts about the book. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. But others like the Thrawn trilogy are full length, which is yeah. beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's going to be all for today. We will finish our coverage of the Jedi Academy trilogy on the 9th, probably on Corey's channel. As always, guys, this will be available on your favorite podcast service in the next couple of days. And if you enjoyed this video, make sure to give it a like and give it a five star rating or whatever you do on podcasts. I don't know. Uh, and uh, I guess we should say if there is a favorite podcast serving platform, uh, that it's not on, let us know in an email and we'll see if we can uh, yes. spread the apparently only Star Wars podcast. For the Star ever. Wars podcast. Your source for the Force. <laughs> That's someone else's <laughs> tagline. We can't use that. Is it Was that the Force.net, I think? I have no idea. Maybe. I don't remember what the Force.net's tagline is. But for anyone who wants more Eck and Corey content, we will, we will be doing a Birio cart over on my second channel x2 um it'll be fun and we're uh gonna have a special guest mark from the template institute so if you watch youtube lore stuff you're probably familiar with the template institute Mm -hmm. and uh, mark is and he could be a fun guest for a future episode as well i think i I, I think don't think he likes star wars okay never mind then goodbye every time i say i like star wars he just makes fun of me that's all (laughs) well he does that anyways yeah that's There's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Well, good night, everyone. I'm going to go. Good night.